You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. This morning, once I'm actually set up here, we're going to uh, kind of wrap up. I've been going through this idea of the gospel of the kingdom for some weeks. And in many ways, we're always talking about the gospel of the kingdom around here. It's sort of the never-ending message. Um, But, you know, focusing specifically on what is that, how does it work, what does it mean, um, has been a few weeks. And for those of you who haven't been with us, I'm just going to do a real quick, like, this is a big deal to Jesus, this idea of the gospel of the kingdom. He says it over and over again. And we looked at it in this framework of creation, Fall and restoration, and the idea is that God created a good world, and he put humanity in it, bearing his image as his authorized governing body to rule and reign over the earth, to take care of it, to steward it. But we, in our sin, chose our own way. There's that, that famous story, right, of where we choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. Instead of fellowship with God, what it's really saying is we chose to go our own way, but in choosing to go our own way, it's not just like this little mistake, like, oh, whoops, right? It's this actual separation from the one who is the source of life itself. It's a decision to live autonomous from him and his wisdom, and the result of that, because of our role as governing body that God put in the earth, it had massive implications for all of humanity, for all of history, for all of time, and it continues to today when we choose our way over him. Are you with me? And and what we saw was that there is this restoration that Jesus promises, where all that's broken and all that's wrong in the world is made right someday. And Jesus' very life, when he lived on earth was a display of that age to come, of that restoration. He went around saying, the kingdom of God has come near to you, right? Because his life was an embodiment of it. So this is the idea we've been looking at. And in that life of Jesus, the sick were healed, the poor were fed, the oppressed were set free, Outsiders were welcomed in. Sins are forgiven. And there's this, there's this real idea that you can see in the whole big narrative that God creates this good paradise. We mess it all up, but his plan is to restore paradise, to restore Eden. Eden is this place of abundance, of more than enough. And what I want us to realize as we're just going into this this morning is that our world that we live in is searching for the kingdom of God. People may not say that they are looking for the rule and reign of God in the world. We might not use that kind of language, but at the end of the day, what our society is looking for and longing for in all of us is the rule and reign of God, where things are made right. This is the promise. We read it a couple weeks ago from the throne of God in Revelation 21. It's spoken that there will be no more death. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. 
greed, corruption, injustice, oppression will be put away. Violence will be put away. We feel very, you know, that hits close to home these days, right? We're seeing so much in the news about the violence happening in the Middle East. And, and there is this longing within us for this change. And our world is crying out for it. And you can hear it in music. You can hear it on social media. You can hear it in all sorts of ways. And I was being reminded this morning, so I'm just going to share it with you. It's a cultural example from my teenage years uh, from, from Tupac Shakur. Anybody? Any, any Tupac? You know, maybe you're not going to raise your hand in church say, yeah, I'm a Tupac fan. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> There's, there's just these lyrics from this verse were like hitting me this morning, and it's how many you know the song changes? Do you remember the Tupac song changes? Come on, why don't laugh, Kelly? It's so it's so like it's a powerful song, and in it, listen, here's some lyrics. Okay, I'm not gonna say one of the lyrics, but anyways, <laughs> it starts off. This is the first verse. I see no changes. I see no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living? Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor, and even worse, I'm black. My stomach, maybe you don't identify with that in Victoria as most of us, but, you know, anyways. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Cops give a damn about a Negro. Pull the trigger. Kill a rhymes with trigger. I'm not going to say it. He's a hero. Uh, <clears throat> I got love for my brother, but we can never go nowhere unless we share with each other. We got to start making changes, learning to see, my, see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers. And that's how it's supposed to be. How can the devil take a brother if he's close to me? I'd love to go back to when we played as kids, but things change, and that's the way it is. And the song, the song goes on and on about this wrestle of longing to see change in the world, looking around and seeing all sorts of pain and injustice, and then these throws back to these images of what it could be like. And, and if you listen to the whole song, it's a pretty hopeless song. But, it, but it's, it's striking this chord right? Or I was remembering, and, and maybe Josh will give me some shout out for this, Rage Against the Machine, you know, like the, the band Rage Against the Machine, the, the cry is in the name of the band itself. It's like things need to change. There's a problem. And, you know, today we see it in our world, this intense protest about the way things are. And we believe often as a culture that the louder we shout, then maybe things will change, right? And we're attempting, essentially our culture is attempting to bring about the kingdom of God through shouting, through rage. Or maybe you seek it another way. We're, we're going through this material in our Monday night group called Practicing the Way, and we've been looking at the practice of Sabbath, right? This, this rest, where from this place of rest, we're actually rehearsing the kingdom of God, the age to come. And John Mark Comer, who does the teachings in what we're looking at, made this statement that he's like, you know, corporations know that we are seeking for this rest, and they spend billions of dollars on marketing to you that they can sell it to you. That with some money, you can buy that rest that your soul longs for. And you'll see it in advertising of vacation packages. Or maybe there's somebody uh, or an account you follow on Instagram that's convincing you that if you just get this, then your life will, you know, like whatever, right? And, and there's this constant attempt to sell you the kingdom of God. 
things as they should be. But no amount of money or volume of shouting will bring about the kingdom of God. You see, people in Jesus' day, they thought they could bring about the kingdom of God through uh, military, power, political, maneuvering, or religious diligence. You know, like all these different ways they thought they could bring it about. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, nope, not that way. Jesus' way to bring about the kingdom is really summed up in these words he says. Follow me. Follow me. And I'm realizing I didn't even read a scripture to you guys this morning. So we're going we're gonna to open it up here. Matthew 28. This is after Jesus' resurrection. Okay. When he's risen from the dead, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it's like, it's the display he's vindicated as king of the universe, okay? The king of the universe, saying this, we'll start in verse 16. It says, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here we have the king of the kingdom. Standing, risen from the dead, overcoming sin and death itself. And he says this statement, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. But notice he doesn't say, and therefore go and conquer the world. It's not what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Make students and apprentices of me. Of all people everywhere. When he says of all nations, he's, he's pointing out the fact that this isn't just to you Jewish boys. This is to the whole world. And you're to go to all types of people everywhere throughout the earth and teach them to follow me, to be my disciple. Baptize them, he says, right? Teach them to obey, not just believe what I told you. And I want us to look at these ideas that are there, okay? And we're going to go kind of backwards through them. Obedience, baptism, and disciples, okay? And first off, what I want us to catch this morning, what I want us to be realizing when we think about this idea of the kingdom of God being, being expressed in the earth is that Jesus calls his disciples to teach people to obey what he commanded them. And sometimes I think we get this mixed up in the church, and it has a lot to do with the culture and the age in which we live. But we know this. We know we're saved by grace through faith, right? We're not saved by, by doing good works. We're not saved through our own obedience. We're saved by faith. But oftentimes, I think in our modern Western mind, we reduce faith to just a set of beliefs. And that's it, right? And this comes from a lot of the philosophy that's led into our day and age. All the way back in the 16th century, there was a guy in France, very uh, influential, Rene Descartes. I don't know if that's actually how you say his name. I don't speak French well. Maybe you can help me out, Ross. 
but I believe it's Descartes is how we say his last name. And, and he really developed this idea of us being like two-part beings. And, and, and that you've got this body, but you've got this mind, this consciousness. And the, the real you is just all the thoughts that go on up here. And he's famously quoted saying, I think, therefore I am. And, and at the end of the day, what he was getting at was this idea is, is like, really just what you think up here is what matters about you. And we have even, you can see it today in our world, these culture wars over simply what you believe. What your opinion is on a matter. We're screaming and shouting at each other over our opinions more than, more than behavior. You see, the Bible has a different idea about faith. The Bible says that saving faith will actually produce good works in a life. James says faith without works is death. And Paul, who, who really develops this idea of faith, at the beginning and the end of Romans, the super influential letter, he says his goal is the obedience of faith in the world. The idea is that if you believe there is an obedience that is produced in a life, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, if you believe that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him as he claims of himself in the passage we read, you will obey. You will follow. And what I want us to realize is this idea that new beliefs produce new behavior. The early church grew and multiplied not because of what they believed, but because of how they behaved. Are you with me? It, Paul makes really clear in 1 Corinthians that the message of the gospel in the world he was living was foolishness and offensive to those who heard it. People thought it was ridiculous. And so it wasn't just in the words, it was actually in the behavior produced through what the church believed. So it was in the way they cared for the poor. It was in the way that they took care of the sick and on and on. And people become interested in what they believed because of how they behaved. In their obedience to Jesus. You know, I, I think of this, okay? And this, this is a weird one to do. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, okay? But I'm going to give it anyway because it works. Uh, when I really committed to fitness and to exercise and to eating well. Stuff started to change in my life. But what started to happen is people would start to ask me, how often do you work out? What do you eat? What's your diet, right? And there's all these questions that start to come when people are noticing a difference in a physical appearance. And just knowing what a good fitness routine is or knowing what a good eating habit looks like does not actually change you. Are you with me? Knowledge alone won't transform you and won't transform the world. There's actually a behavioral shift that Jesus came to bring into humanity. His very life was so radically different than that of what the world had seen and known. And then he says, come follow me. I want you to actually have a life that looks like mine. 
And what I would say, guys, is I believe that we need a revival of discipleship. We need a revival of people being formed into the image of Jesus. We don't just need a revival in in new ideas and new philosophies. We need a revival and and a change in behavior that we actually look and act like Jesus. And if you know anything about being changed in life, it's not easy. It is not comfortable. You know, throwing back to the, to the fitness thing, it's like, it's not, it's not comfortable to go do it. It's all about pushing yourself. They're, they're, you know, the famous saying, no pain, no gain. Or, or Lucas referred to this last week. It's this idea, you know, that Jesus, he loves us enough to, to welcome everyone, right? He says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Jesus is actually into changing us, okay? And that's where this, this idea of baptism that Jesus refers to, I want us to realize that what baptism was a symbol of, it's a symbol of an old life going into the ground with Jesus, being buried, being put to death, and coming to life. To follow Jesus, there will be a cross involved. It will be uncomfortable. It's not a call to self-affirmation and self-improvement. The call to follow Jesus is a call to self-denial. Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Just strong words. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, come follow me and get better. He says, no, come to me and come on this cross with me and let your life, old life, be put to death that we can make a whole new one. You can be reborn. So here we're talking about these lives, right? These lives that look different. And they're becoming different by being students of Jesus. Disciples. Apprentices. This is how the kingdom gets expressed in the world. Jesus went around saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Why? Because he was there. The rule and reign of God was established in his heart. Therefore, the rule and reign of God was expressed through his life. And what I would say is our world needs more disciples of Jesus. That's why he says to his followers on that day, go. Make disciples of all nations. It's speaking about people everywhere, all types of people becoming followers of Jesus. And when that happens, we'll, we'll have, you know, less greed, less violence, less oppression, more Father forgive them for they know not what they do or whatever aspect of Jesus is really embedded in one's heart. But I want us to understand this, and I refer to this near the end of 
my message a couple weeks ago, but I want to look a little closer at it. And it's this idea that Jesus intends to, to reseed Eden with people. What I mean by that is in some of his most famous teachings on his kingdom in Matthew 13, and I'm just going to refer to it. I'm not going to turn to it right now. But in Matthew 13, Jesus tells this story about a farmer going out, right, and he's scattering seed, and there's all sorts of different things happening where that seed is thrown. But there's one particular place where it's thrown where it produces fruit, and that's in good soil, right? And so Jesus is saying, and he explains it to his disciples, and he says, that seed is the gospel of the kingdom. And the good soil represents a heart that understands it, receives it, believes it, and it produces good fruit. The very next story that Jesus tells is about uh, these seeds being planted in a field and then an enemy comes along and plants bad seed in the same field. And when it grows up, you've got weeds and you've got uh, good wheat, right? And what Jesus says when he explains that story to his disciples is he says, The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The good seed in that story are people. In other words, there is, first of all, this gospel of the kingdom gets planted like a seed in the heart of a person, and it begins to bear good fruit in their life. The very next story, the people are the seed being planted throughout the world. Are you with me? And so Jesus is actually, he's all about let's transform the world. Let's change systems and structures. Let's, let's revamp and renovate and redo the way things are done. But it starts by changing people. No system and structure will be changed apart from changed people. Changed lives. And I'll say it this way. To the degree the rule and reign of God is rooted in your life, the rule and reign of God will grow through your life in the world. Are you with me? The rule and reign of God starts in your heart before it ever starts to affect the world. And, and from your heart, it begins to look like changed behavior. But it doesn't, it doesn't begin to bear that fruit by us trying harder. Lucas preached to us last week, Jesus' famous words, Abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. There is this connection to Jesus through which all of the good fruit is produced in and through our lives. So I says, come follow me. Come be with me. Come to the life-giving presence. Come to the tree of life, if you will, that is Jesus, and eat of me and be changed. Plant the seed in your heart, in your life, in your mind again and again. And be changed. So, yeah, we believe. We behold and worship, and then we become like him. That's the process. 
And he takes that life and he plants it as a seed in the world. And I found myself thinking about, you know, in reference, we read these words from, from Tupac at the beginning. This cry for change, right? And maybe we don't relate to his lived experience as a, as a black man in the inner city in America. But we can relate to the cry. And it got me thinking about the civil rights movement, right? Well, remember what these people did, whether you think of the Rosa Parks story, where she goes and she sits not at the back of the bus, she goes and sits at the front of the bus, where she, in, you know, let's just put it this way, in God's kingdom, she should be allowed to sit at the front of the bus. In, in, in God's kingdom, these people should be allowed to sit wherever they want in the restaurant. In God's kingdom, these people should be allowed to go to whatever school is in their area, right? Like all that stuff that was going on in the civil rights movement were people who said, I'm going to live like the kingdom is now at whatever cost. There was actually something that they said, well, I'm going to behave like this is a reality, and through their behavior, the world had to see its own response to it, right? Like, that was the strategy. Let's just go in and sit there and let the news cameras film. Like, they paid a high price with their lives for the change that happened and was brought about. But there was something about, we're not just going to believe it. We're not just going to protest. We're going to show, let's just go live like it's real, and when they lived, they embodied that reality. It came at a price, but it brought about change. And there's this sense in which God wants to convince us the beauty of his kingdom and his way that we see best expressed in the life of Jesus. And the more that gets in you, the more it gets expressed through you. He plants the seed in you so that he can then plant you as a seed in the world to, to regrow Eden, if you will. We can't bring it about on our own. But we get to act. We have the, the, the privilege, the honor of acting today in the way of that future age. And I know for me, like when I, when I was a teenager and I was living far from God, I, I started to read the life and the words of Jesus and he caught my attention, to say the least. That would be a subtle way of saying it. And... Um, and I remember I just like, I couldn't argue with what he had to say and the way he lived. It was like, it was so good. I couldn't help but want to be like Jesus when I actually took a look at his life and at his words. And yet I went through this process of a few months of like convinced of the beauty of Jesus, but still living in darkness. And what I came to realize after... Um, after a near-death experience that almost, you know, wiped me out. That's what near-death experience is, I guess. And um, I really got convinced that, that I was on a wrong path and I didn't have control of my life and I couldn't fix myself. 
And it was, it was in this process of seeing the goodness and beauty of Jesus and finally coming to a place of saying, I surrender to you. Forgive me of my sin, of where I've broken your law and your ways. Forgive me of that, and I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord. Be my King. I didn't know what I was signing up for in that moment. All I knew was, was he was better and that he was worth trying to be like. And the only way I knew how to get there was just trust him and surrender. And when you, you know, when we become convinced of his goodness and his beauty and the way of his kingdom, it will change you. And I I think to that verse in verse 17, it says that Jesus was there, raised from the dead. And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You're kind of going to be in one of two categories. And if you find yourself today in a place of doubt, skeptical of this Jesus who we claim has risen from the dead as king of the universe, my prayer is that you wouldn't remain in that place of doubt for too long. Because the place of life and the place of fruitfulness in your life comes when you not only believe, but you see him as beautiful. And like these, it says, worship him. And so this morning, we're going to receive communion together. And maybe those of you who are going to help serve it, you can come forward right now. But as we've been on this idea about about the garden, about Eden, about the seeds, right? About fellowship with Jesus, about eating from the tree of life. Those are over the last few weeks, just in case. It wasn't a lot today, but I want you to just carry that in your heart as you come forward. That we're coming to eat of Jesus. Eat from the tree of life, if you will. And that it would go into us like a seed to bear much fruit. Guys, when we do this, this is a part of our worship. This is a part of our beholding the beauty of Jesus. Savoring reality of who he is eating of Jesus eating of him who is essentially the tree of life itself and in 1 Corinthians 11 Paul says this the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Tossie and I were talking about this this weekend, and you catch those words, on the night he was betrayed. There's so much beauty wrapped up right there. He's sitting at the table with those he knows are about to desert, deny, and betray him. And he says, hey, let's make a covenant. Let's make a covenant. My love for you. That isn't going to be shaken when you 
desert me, deny me, and betray me later on tonight. All of us are sitting there around the table with Jesus. Some shape, form, or another, we do these things. And he says, here is my body given for you. And so church, take and eat. He says, here's my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. So, Lord, we receive your body, your blood. With grateful hearts today, Lord, we look at you and we look at the beauty of your ways. We look at the beauty of your rule and reign. We ask that you make it real in our hearts and real through our lives. That what we believe would actually affect the way we behave in this world. That you would be glorified. That your name would be made known. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.